sorry, this morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. And hello to those online and those who watch us later. Hello to you as well. Well, you might be able to tell that my voice is a little shaky this morning, so we'll just see how long it lasts. It may be a short sermon. Yay! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll see, but let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful to be here. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And Lord, where our human bodies sometimes uh, fail us, may your Holy Spirit step in and do the rest. May all these words be of you. May you strengthen them where they needed and where they need to be cut short. That's okay. Do your work, O oh Lord. Amen. Well, we are in a sermon series, and today is the third piece of that, as you can probably guess. And uh, we're specifically looking at different words that we always look at every single Advent season. Uh, as we light our candles, there's normally a word that's attached to those. And today we're looking at the word joy and discovering a little bit more about it. We've already looked at hope and peace and joy, uh, but I should probably mention that maybe some of you are maybe in this church in previous Advent seasons, uh, People have different understandings of the Advent candles. And so if you go to different traditions of Christian traditions, you may have experienced when you were younger or another church or another place, uh, different words that were even used, or maybe they didn't use words at all per se. Uh, in some traditions, these Advent candles, the purple ones represent repentance. Um, but what's unique is the, per the pink one always in every tradition is joy. So even though we may all disagree about all the others, but the third candle, we all get together, we all agree. Because even in the, the uh, traditions of repentance, of being purple, they also wanted to remember that there should be one Sunday at least where we stop and even in the middle of a repentance have joy because of the child that is coming. And so as we're here today, uh, we gather around only with our church and those that would kind of maybe use the words that we would, but really the church universal that looks at this pink candle this week and remembers this word joy and joyously comes to the Lord. Well... As you probably would think, we've been looking at these words and kind of discovering, first of all, you know, what was the original words that were used in the Bible? And first of all, I want to start this morning with the Hebrew word for joy. It's really simple, and I'm going to try to pronounce it with my, my voice here today, but it's shimka. So shimka, it's kind of got a nice ring to it, you know, go shimka, shimka, right? So joy, joy, joy is what it means. And if you look at how the Hebrew people used it, and especially in the Bible, it's, it's pretty much joy. So I don't have to explain it very much to you today, 
because it's really a simple concept, right? But it is unique to kind of sit back and think about how did the Hebrew people oftentimes express joy or when does scripture kind of enwrap itself in joy? And especially when were times where people gather together and communally give joy uh, together. And there's kind of big, big three things that these would happen. The first one is harvest time. So people like to eat. People, of course, love the food, but it was a big occasion. When harvest time came, not only was there a festival for it, but everyone would go up into the hillside and watch the, the wheat come in, and as they, they chaffed the wheat and did all that and, and you know threshed it, and the wheat, they'd go up on the hill, and the wind would blow the chaff away. They'd look and see all the grain that was left, and it was a time of joy. They loved the joy. They loved their food, and just like any good Methodist, we love our potluck. We can identify with that ourselves here today. But, of course, not only this, but festivals. And so festivals were happening different times and points of the year, but the people would come together and express joy in all these different times and places. And a lot of times those festivals, and almost all the time that is, those festivals were really truly celebrating, for the Hebrew people, what God had done in their life. And so there was a joy not only in what God had done, but in the remembrance of what God had done. It was a time for joy in the festivals. And then finally, of course, was the one that we all would be in, uh, accustomed to and know ourselves, is that when you get good news, so every time in the scripture when someone gets good news, there's a resounding joy that takes place with it. Now, of course, we haven't really discovered too much about the word joy, because those are kind of different ways that we use it even with ourselves here today in modern days, but it is worthy of thinking about the idea of joy and how much it was shared. And if you look at the Hebrew use of it, it's very seldom my joy. Right? Or I take joy in this myself. It's our joy. And it is kind of a unique kind of perspective on it and to think of all the different ways that Shimka happens. Shimka is joy, but it's really kind of joy of the people, if you will, and joy, and joy expressed with each other. The, probably the biggest way I've ever seen this was uh, I went to Zimbabwe when I was in seminary. And I think I've told you that story before where we went and we were doing setting up grinding mills for local places to eat. It was one of these situations where people walk miles and miles and miles to go bring their harvest, go to a grinding mill, get it ground up so they can go home and actually use it for food. And these places are basically privately run. And so what would happen was is people would walk miles and miles and miles just to get there and then it would be closed for the day because the guy didn't feel like, you know, waking up and opening his grinding mill. He'd say, come back, you know, two days from now. So you'd go home and then be hungry for a few days and all that stuff. So we got a, a I don't know if it was a government grant, but a grant through the schools and things like that. We went over, set up a grinding mill and this local, as a, I understand African people call it the bush, if you will, of Africa, out in the middle of nowhere uh, in Zimbabwe. And we set up this grinding mill so they could make their uh, staple food, which was called sadza. But I remember the joy that happened, not only because, you know, first of all, these strangers from America were there, which was joyous and enough of occasion. Everybody wanted to come see us crazy white people uh, in the first time. But then there was also that, but then there was also the idea that we were bringing the grinding mill and so food, that was great. But the most joy that they had or that I saw was I brought a little special something with me. And it was a little something, uh, we don't call it this here, but it's called around the world, football, right? And I brought about six footballs, right? And I even bought some ones that uh, I found this company that makes them that they're indestructible. So like you can run over them with a the car. They were made for like war zones and stuff. So like you could go have kids, could just have fun. And so literally you could shoot this thing with a bullet and it would just inflate back up. Like it was the craziest, coolest looking thing. So anyways, we got like seven or eight of those, brought them over in a big bag and all that stuff. And I remember opening up the bag and bringing it out. And like, it was like Jesus had just showed up, right? I mean, it was like the kids were, 
you know, doing their dancing and jumping around. And even the adults were kind of dancing and doing stuff. And of course, everybody went immediately out to the pitch and uh, went out there and started uh, playing soccer together. And I remember, uh, um, of course, there was a, a certain sound, especially the ladies make. And over there, it's kind of came into it with my voice, but ah! you know what I'm talking about? Like just the sound of exuberate joy that took place in the whole community having this joy. And in those moments, of course, when joy is expressed communally, it's one of those things that joy is a lot better caught than taught, right? I mean, joy is just one of those things you can't help but find joy when other people are finding joy because it's just one of those shared things that happen. Now, what's interesting, though, is that's not the only, of course, language of the Bible. There's also the Greek. And the Greek is a little different. And it's really interesting, the words that the, you know, when people were translating the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words that they would use, and even in the New Testament, what words they chose. Just kind of like us, we have lots of words, and you know, and sometimes we have many words for the same thing, but they all mean something very slightly different, right? And so, uh, you know, like there are cultures that, you know, we just call it rice. They have like six different words for rice because rice is totally different the way they cook it because they have a very incentive on rice. What's interesting about Greek is they had way more words, I feel like, than we use. We kind of dumbed it down, if you will, and, and narrowed it down in how many words we use. But they use words for the same thing with different nuances all the time. And so the word that they used for joy is kara. It means joy. It's used quite often in the New Testament over and over and over again. But it also is closely linked to that root, the word car, and then you change the ending, it could be kara, kares, kare, car, and all sorts of different endings to it, and you get different words. And so what's really interesting in how Greek works is normally there's a root kind of idea, so there's this kind of little vowel sound, if you will, or, or, or kind of consonant with a couple of vowels, but it has mean something to it, and then they add a little ending, and it sort of changes the nuance to it. So the root is car, and when you add the ah, it's kara, it's then joy. When you change that ending just a little bit, you get words like rejoicing, or you change that word just a little bit, you get the word grace. Grace. And so in the New Testament, it's no mistake that the word they used for joy is extremely closely linked, etymologically and all those different things, with the word grace. In fact, joy and grace go hand in hand in the New Testament. And of course, they could have used other words for joy, but they didn't. They chose that word. And in fact, one of the word studies I was looking up, they went so far as to say, you know, the definition for the word joy is this. It's grace recognized in the New Testament. When grace is recognized, that's joy. Or in other words, maybe you also wonder, maybe understand it this way, the proper response when grace happens in your life is joy. It's so interesting reading the Apostle Paul's letters because he uses that word joy over and over and over again. And almost all the time when he uses it, he, can, he talks about, about meeting up with people or the joy that he has from seeing their life lived out in Christ or the joy that he has in them coming to visit or he going to visit them or the joy that he has just remembering their good works and the works that they're doing for the Lord over and over and over again. But all of it is basically the response to grace. And especially we see that here today in the gospel story in Luke chapter 15. Now, I chose just the first parable. This is actually, in this chapter, three different parables, one of which is very, very famous. I went with the first one just because it makes the point that we're trying to make here today with this word joy, and especially how Christians understand it, how really it's so linked with that word grace. 
In this story, the word kara and its derivatives, if you know, not only joy but rejoicing and all those different things, come up time and time again. In fact, Luke 15, if you're going to put one word on it, we normally think of prodigal son or something like that, or you know, law, what is lost is found, all those different things. But another word you could put on there is just the chapter of joy. Because the word joy is used throughout this over and over and over. And of course, when you think about what these stories are teaching, it's really, really great to stop and remember. That first story that Jesus tells, remember he tells the story of a sheep that is lost. He tells the story of a lost coin. Then he tells the story of basically two lost brothers, one being blatantly lost and the other one that stays home but is lost in his heart. And when he tells that first story, I just want to read it to you once again from Luke, again, chapter 1, or chapter 15, that is, verses uh, 1 through 7. And it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. The Pharisees and teachers of the law mutter, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus starts telling these parables in response to that because some people are coming around and are mad and they're like, Oh, these people, they don't need, they're, they're not good enough to rub elbows with Jesus, right? They don't, they don't deserve the goodness of God. And so Jesus goes, Okay, let me tell everybody a parable real quick. So he tells a story. And in the story, he says this Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 and go in the country until, go after that lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And he goes on to say, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in sinner over one sinner, or in heaven that is, over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, if you go on, just count them as you go on, the amount of rejoicing that happens in these stories. But a short little story right there, and Jesus is just saying rejoice and joy and rejoicing and joy throughout it in that one little quick story. And what's so unique about that story is the idea that when one sheep is lost, the shepherd goes after him, right? Leaves the other 99 that are doing good, hanging out there, but the good shepherd will go find that one lost sheep. And of course, what he's saying in that is that, hey, Pharisees, wake up. There's lost sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm going after them. I know they're sinners. The gospel's for them too. And guess what? When I find them and then bring them home, I'm going to put them on my shoulders. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to call on my buddies. I'm going to rejoice over it. And guess what? In heaven, the angels are rejoicing over the one who was lost more than the 99 who didn't need saving in that moment. Jesus tells that story. But he tells that story with kara, the word joy, and charis, the word rejoicing or be joyful. What's so unique about that story is it not only tells us what we should be rejoicing about, but it tells us what God rejoices about. And in fact, you see kind of in Luke 15, in some ways it's the heart of God. You can see it in these stories is that God's heart is not you sinner, you horrible person, you kick you out and throw you out to the wolves, right? It's you sinner, I'm coming after you. Let me hold you and pick you up. Put you around my neck. Bring you home. Let's rejoice. I rejoice over that. In fact, when we call those words, when you think about God's act in our life, when he comes, saves us from what is lost, and brings us back to what is found, the word for that is grace. And in fact, that grace that happens is also filled with God's life and heart. That is, when God experiences joy, because what is lost is found, 
and he's brought what is his back to himself. And the sheep has experienced grace. God has joy. And I'm pretty sure that sheep that was probably out there bleeding on really doesn't even know, you know, sheep are kind of dumb animals, honestly. I spent some time in some husbandry stuff when I was an undergrad and did a lot with some sheep. And, you know, like, they're just kind of wander off and all of a sudden they look up and they're like, right? And they just freak out, right? And so when, when the shepherd finds the sheep, I'm sure the sheep was experiencing some joy too, right? I'm sure this wasn't just a one-way street at the time. The sheep was glad to be found. But that story that Jesus takes joy in finding us, that Jesus and his grace are offered to us, and when we experience that, when we accept it, there's rejoicing in heaven, but there's rejoicing in our hearts as well. So the simple invitation is here today is, will you be found? This coming child came for you, for me, for all of us. Will we be filled with joy or will we keep wandering away? The work of Jesus is to come and to save us. That work is grace. And again, what is joy? It's grace recognized. Let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful for today. We're so thankful to be your people. We're so thankful for your word. And God, as we remember this word joy, we truly it is the story that you came to save us, that you came to offer grace. And Lord, when that grace finds good soil and bears fruit. What a joy it is, not only for you, but for all those who you breathe life into. So God, bring us joy here today, not in the way the world would have it and just receiving blessings, if you will, and just good fortune and things like that. Help us to find joy in your love that can never be taken away from us, a joy that lasts forever to the ends of time. We pray all this in your name. Amen.